Hello and welcome to Converse Christianity, where we explore what it means to live out a countercultural faith in the secular age. My name is Jeremy Moses. I'm Andrew Haslam. And we're both pastors of a church called Grace London in central London. And today we want to talk about friendship. Now that might sound a little bit unusual. It's not exactly a kind of big countercultural topic where we feel the great clash with our culture. But actually, we want to explore and unpack a kind of Christian framework, a theology for friendship. And I think when you really grasp the vision of friendship that we see contained within the pages of scripture, we see it as a really precious idea. And I certainly speaking for myself and my own walk with God, friendship has been a huge part of my growth and walk with Christ. Um, Andrew, why don't you just talk, tell us a little bit about your experience of friendship or, or kind of why you think this is important to talk about. I think when we get into this subject, one of the first things I actually feel is a measure of regret because I, I look back on my younger years and I had very precious friends in my life, but I didn't necessarily always hold those friendships as tightly as I ought to. I think I was quite independent and quite focused on, you know, what I felt called to do with my life. Mm. And as a result, didn't always give those friendships the prominence that I ought to have. And that wasn't for lack of, you know, I think I was the weak link. Mm. And speaking very personally, I think I've discovered more the value of friendship as I've grown older. And perhaps also as I've felt more of the the weight of what I'm doing with my life and the need to have brothers around me yeah. who, and my wife is one of my most precious friends as well, but have people around me who are a strength to me. And I obviously I, include you in that. I was going to say, yeah. basically you understood what friendship was when we became friends. I get it. That's, I, I Jeremy, understand. you're the model of the perfect friend. Uh, no, <laughs> quite the opposite. Um, but I do, I would resonate with you in the sense that there are times and seasons in my life where I've neglected friendships yeah. and I, you you have past regret i almost have present regret i think even i can think about my own life right i now. have present regret as well i mean i don't think you ever yeah are quite the friend you want to be okay so we both we both i but i think what we're saying is when we've been in seasons where we've less invested less in friendships i've seen it affect my life like yes. i think it's un uncanny the way that when i'm walking when i'm investing in friendships and i'm being vulnerable with people and i'm opening my life up to some close friends how much that brings flourishing in my life yeah yeah, yeah, definitely. And and also in theirs, like you mm. feel like you're you're a blessing to others. And yeah. it's a two-way thing. I I I do feel some bitterness about the fact that certain friendships in my life have kind of disappeared, but I'm also feel there's a, such a sweetness in yeah. in the, the friendships that are 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 there and which are an encouragement to me and yeah. yeah. That's great. Okay. So let's just kind of zoom out from our own personal yeah. experience and just look at the culture and say and this is probably, I think, true both in the church and outside the church. What are some of the problems that we see in the area of friendship? Why, why mm. essentially, what are the challenges that we see in, in the patterns of friendship around us? Well, we're definitely speaking against a backdrop here of just profound loneliness. Um, I'm not so, I look, I'm not saying that everybody feels lonely all the time, but it's a, as a trend, just like the anxiety trend has been kind of a rising thing year on year, I think the loneliness trend has been rising year on year lots of complex reasons for that but it does point to um a diminishment in friendships mm. and the need to talk about it and mm. maybe if you were to start to isolate the causes i think the first thing that comes to my mind at least is the 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 way in which um these days we're much less attached to place and our place and our people that we're more mobile than we've ever been and uh, this is what David Gooding talks about in his book, the, the Road to Somewhere. There's two kinds of people. There are the somewheres and the anywheres. Somewheres 
are, are very much rooted in the place where they grew up and feel you know there's a there's a sense of local and identity and place in this world and anywhere of this kind of mobile population and increasingly that's all of us yeah you know? it's certainly true in central london yeah, so, you know, I, or if you live in Central London, you're almost certainly in anywhere rather than somewhere. So we have a massive bias to see the world that way because, in some ways, we represent that, but also we're surrounded by it. Um, there's like a flood of young people come to London every single year, and our church, in some ways, benefits from that, and that we constantly have new people joining the church, but also suffers. We have people leaving the church. Yeah. But what it does is it creates this context in which relationships are. <sighs> suffer from the fundamental transience of our context yeah 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 and i i think i'd agree and so in a sense what we're saying is the need to talk about friendship is even more acute in sent in urban centers like london i think so but perhaps you know let's take if we take this slightly wider than just london it's also part of the it points to something in our day and age isn't doesn't it where what's on what's going on underneath that it seems to me that everybody's trying to live this life of um personal fulfillment where I, I go and pursue my dreams and those dreams no longer, you know, those, those dreams kind of supersede every other consideration in life yeah. so that other things like place and family and friendship come lower down the tier of importance. Yeah. I was, that's fascinating. It's almost like our vision of flourishing has us going somewhere on some path to some destination, but it, yeah. no one else is in the picture Yeah, or maybe a romantic spouse is in the picture, but actually our friends aren't in the picture. Exactly. And, but maybe we keep the illusion that they're in the picture because we are connected with them online, mm. but it's not quite the same thing as being on the same street where you grew up with the same people you grew up with in each other's lives. And now I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, that's what we should be aiming for. Yeah. But I think it's interesting that we've so pushed in the opposite direction. Yeah, I think a really helpful point of contrast would be in World War One when they had these regiments, the PALS regiments of basically uh, guys all right. signing up, going to the recruiting office together. Yeah. And then they were going to sign up to fight and literally go on the trenches and yeah. you get them yeah. writing letters back saying, I've lost my best friend this week. But it's that sense to which they were kind of going and doing something together and it all kind of propelled them against that. Whereas now it'd be more like I'm going on my individual journey of discovery and yeah, my yeah. vocation, etc. It's actually a heartbreaking thing, isn't it? Because you go to churches out in villages in the countries and you'll see the the lists of the war dead and you realize all these all these lads grew up in this village yeah. and they all went off to the front line together and they all died together. Mm. And um, But that dynamic wouldn't exist today because we've already spun off into yeah. our own individual orbits, you know, uh, far away from the people we knew and loved growing up. And I hate to go back to another previous week, but I do think screens play a part in this in the sense of we are much, it's much easier to live a disembodied, isolated existence with the screen being your way of entering into reality, i.e. Yeah. in your room, engaging with the world through the yeah, yeah. Me medium yeah. of screen that almost... Um, much more likely to then isolate ourselves from each other in so. that context. I think it's probably worth saying as well, when we talk about the kind of general sense of loneliness, we talk about the urban context, there's also probably this is an issue more for men than for women. Yeah. I think about in our church, I can compare it and think it's a much more of a challenge to um, see a guy living in a kind of healthy dynamic with investing in, the, yeah. in core friendships. I think it's most women I know don't struggle with this, but I know many more guys who do. Yeah, I agree with that. I think... Look, you're always on dangerous territory when you're talking about differences between men and women because some people take great offense at that. But it's plain as day when you when you look at these these differences and one of them is this relationality that men are generally find it more difficult to 
to kind of sustain that and pursue that and emphasize that you know those those affectionate horizontal relationships with each other perhaps particularly as we look at what the christian vision of friendship is i think we might yeah. see that it's almost so we do see a, a vision of friendship in our society and you know i when i was growing up i had i was part of two lads groups you know one at school and one at university um and those and that was definitely there was when you were the wannabe hard man the wannabe hard man and the wannabe lad do you know right. that I was, I was a wannabe lad? I was part with friends with the lads, but I wasn't necessarily. So for, for context, this is an award Jeremy was given at school, wasn't it? Yeah, right? we're not by my fellow pupils, not by, okay. by the teachers. They nominated you the wannabe hard man. Yeah, and I think that is hard to believe, but actually the more you get to know me, the more you'll see it's perfectly appropriate. <laughs> yeah. um, it so, explains many of the tussles you and I have engaged in over Yeah, the I've last tried few years. to goad you into more physical tussles, which is kind of, if everyone knows our respective body shapes, it's quite um, ironic that I'm trying to goad you into fights. It's like fighting a badger. Exactly. Honey badger, one of my friends, my friends called me really? at university, which I, I think is kind that, of like yeah. quite a vicious animal. I, so yeah. again, hard to believe now. I, I'm a different man than I was. <laughs> I became a Christian at university, so a lot has changed. Um, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's definitely. Anyway, um, so we talked about some of the challenges. Any more challenges you want to talk about in present culture? Yeah, I mean, friendship? a lot of it spills out from that. I, I don't know, but that would be my analysis. But I think as a consequence, it means that some of the relationships are more super, superficial. That's a that's a real issue, isn't it? That um, you, you brush shoulders with lots of people and there's a kind of a superficiality to conversation. Maybe you go to the pub mm. with people from work. Maybe you have a cup of tea with people at church on a Sunday. And, you know, w what you're lacking sometimes is that, that real depth. Yeah, lots of acquaintances and the danger of not actually being known by many people. Yeah. I wonder whether part of this is driven by a kind of growing sense of transactional relationships in our culture that you might have a work relationship where you're networking or you might have a church relationship where you're part of the same small group. But there's there's not the same sense of investment or even friendship in, in as a good in and of itself. Yeah. Rather, relationships are only a means to an end. And I wonder whether that's kind of part of the kind of general cultural soup that we're swimming in so to I think speak so. i mean there's nothing inherently wrong with a relationship being a means to an end we accomplish things through relationships in this world and it's good if relationships accomplish things so if i meet a business person and we manage to form a deal and or it results in me getting a better job all of those things are good things but if that's the only thing you have a massive problem so if your phone book is full of people who are just steps on a ladder to your personal success or you know, that kind of transactionalism is real, is rife, I think, certainly mm. where we live. And if, if you're spending every night, you know, networking and things like that, which some people do, um, it, I mean, nothing sounds more depressing than that to me. But it, yeah, I don't think networking would be for you as well. But, but, but I, I totally get the point. I'm particularly bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about I, one other issue that I see here is perhaps an overemphasis on the romantic. So in the sense to which we a lot of people might be aspiring towards finding their life partner. Yeah. And they might think, okay, where can I find a spouse or whatever? But they, but actually an under-focus on seeing the importance of friendships as a source of relational health in my life. Yeah. So yeah. maybe some people who are married, only focusing on their spouse. Again, more husbands than wives, I yeah. imagine. Um, but also maybe you're like so focused on finding that romantic partner that you almost ignore the fact that friendships are meant to be the key part of your sustaining your relational social health. Right, so there's a devaluing of friendship yeah, against the kind of elevation of romance and sexual um, fulfillment as well, potentially. I think so, but partly just because you just have 
constant flood of news about romantic partnerships and all sorts of things. Very yeah. rarely would you would you see on display. You wouldn't yeah. see a film about a friendship. Yeah, or, that's very rare. I mean, they mm. do exist. You have prominent examples of friends in culture. You know, you think of Anton Deck or something like that. But they're, they're kind of rare. Mm. You know, most most of the stories we read out in the tabloids and most of the films that we watch are about romantic relationships. Mm. Um, and even, I guess, you know, even the great example of the series Friends, it all culminated in them you that's know, fascinating ending up in romantic like that was the destination and again this to go back hi historically that isn't the case so you think about sure. the way that um i've told you an example where uh, people are writing letters back in world war one between uh two guys writing letters to each other and i was reading on the bbc website where they were kind of speculating is this a love affair yeah. because the, uh, it was just uh, to me when i read the letter it just felt like an expression of friendship but yeah. to the modern eye once you see all two guys expressing that kind of affection for each other it had to be uh, erotic or romantic and i think that's because we don't have a category so particularly guys we don't have that category of like deep affectionate loving friendships yeah, yeah. We, we default to the romantic and you think historically that guys wrote really passionate like um affectionate letters etc and it wasn't a romantic thing exactly and it just means that in our day and age we have this problem where we can we can only really think of relationships on two modes either it's very like you know playful banterish and fun but you know you daren't be vulnerable and affectionate and loving or it's romantic mm. and if it shaded into vulnerability and affection then suddenly it's become romantic yeah. and actually that just creates this massive limiter mm. particularly among guys i think on mm. having real genuine relationships i can think of some exceptions in my life of guys who are particularly willing to push forward in that and just be very open very vulnerable and very real but mostly guys kind of, there's a certain holding at arm's length because yeah. of a fit, potentially it's part of this, like a fear about being real. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the Christian vision for friendship. What? How does it differ? Let's start from the beginning. What's the kind of why of friendships from a Christian perspective? When um, when when we read the, the first chapters of Genesis and we have this, this account of the creation of Adam and then God saying, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. It's totally right to understand that the primary application of that and the outworking of that is the marriage relationship. But I think it's also appropriate to say, you know, that, that part of God's solution to Adam's loneliness was a spouse with whom he could bear children for the formation of society and ultimately friendship. Mm. That friendship in some ways was a kind of a destination for the multiplication of humanity. Mm. Friendship and family and kinship and brotherhood and all these kinds of things that the Bible talks about. So that verdict, it's not good for the man to be alone, has to be held in contrast to the community of the Godhead, mm. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, Trinity, existing in perfect loving relationship eternally and say, okay, man cannot be isolated. Yeah, He needs he needs love and sometimes that love is met through the, the romantic, spouse yeah. yeah sometimes it's but all the time it's met through friendship yeah and i think what this says then to the person who's experiencing loneliness in our city is actually it's it's almost right that you experience loneliness if you're not in relationships because that points to the fact that you were made as a social being made ultimately for a relationship with god ultimately friendship you're made for friendship with god so to speak um but also you're made for a relationship with other people yeah it's, it kind of is a diagnostic and a validation of the biblical worldview. Exactly. And, you know, it, 
it's very, it's really revealing when we understand okay whether these social beings were made like a god who's social yeah yeah i think it's amazing how as we talked in the previous weeks how the ache in the human heart is explained through the biblical lens yes yeah, yeah it corresponds perfectly yeah what yeah. about the Christian vision for friendships themselves then? So what does it actually look like? What are the kind of parts of, of a Christian friendship? We have we have a lot of, of overlap and a lot in context with the way the world sees friendship in the sense that friendship is people who, who enjoy each other's company and can totally affirm that and agree with that and so on. But maybe the locus of the friendship is slightly different in this sense. So everyone recognizes that friendships form around affinity. So you you um you find things in common well i think yeah not not everyone recognizes that but i completely agree with you essentially what you're saying is you cannot just be friends um on the basis of nothing yeah oh friendships come i love this i think um i heard this from keller but i think he's going back to um c.s lewis when a friendship begins when you say oh you too yeah and i can remember certain friendships one friendship where i was interviewing someone who eventually came to work for the company that i was part of and uh and we were just talking he was talking about his kind of passion for business and social change and kind of seeing those two as, as the same thing that that business can be used for um good purposes to, to build build about a flourishing society and just as soon as i thought i thought you too yeah, i have that too. same passion exactly, yeah. and then that was the beginning of what became a really flourishing friendship exactly so if we take if we understand that through the christian lens we recognize that that you too moment can it it often revolves around the fact that we're now we now enjoy brotherhood within the kingdom mm. so we're now part of the same family and christ is at the center of that family and i think that that instantly creates a rapport and an affinity among christians but also can be the major thing that fuels friendship mm. and you know, speaking personally, I think this is what happened when you and I first got to know each other, right? Yep. So you, you came to join the church plant about seven, eight months into it. Never met you from Adam. Mm. But when you sat down on our sofa and began talking about your heart for uh, mission and the church and what God was, you know, your calling in life, there was like this resonance, wasn't there, between us, I think, yeah. that just meant that we were able to become friends very rapidly. Yeah, We could jump past lots of the kind of early stages of friendship Absolutely. and move move forward much more quickly and this by the way is the key to why friendships will be very countercultural in the body of christ so it maybe is the case that you and i without christ we'd say we did, we have a tiny bit in common but not really much in common without very christ. little actually yeah you're right okay so yeah the, the, our friendship is a good example of this but i can think yeah. of other friendships where you think on the paper there's nothing that we have in common sure. except christ but because we have christ in common actually we can become really good friends yeah because we've got so much of the same experiences it's not just that we kind of subscribe to the same kind of core belief somewhere that in the back of our minds we've kind of got a, the same statement of faith but actually more than that we've got the same experience yeah. we're walking yeah. side by side on the journey of following christ but then everything else you begin to share in common as well so it's exactly. a bit like you know when you go on holiday and you see those binoculars that you can put like 20p in and then you can see a site and if you're with your family you put the 20p in you focus it in on what you're supposed to be looking at be it like some amazing building or a bird or something like mm. that and then you quickly say quick quick come and look through these binoculars and your kid comes and have has a look i've obviously done this with my kids yeah and i think there's something like that when you have christ like when you have a christ-centered worldview christian friendship is forged as you begin to look at everything in the world mm. through the lens of of your your common faith yeah i had one i had just talked to someone recently who was saying um 
he's friends with someone else who has very little in common with him on paper, but because they're both, they were talking about a kind of shared desire for purity and walking in holiness and kind of area of sex and sexual temptation. And that is that friendship that bonded them together. That's a really weird thing to bond over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. It maybe sounds a bit weird to someone who's listening who's not a Christian, but I think as a Christian, you think, no, suddenly actually fighting together is something really precious. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, you, you, you find yourself in the trenches in a common sense of warfare. And just as men in battle experience the deepest kind of camaraderie don't they mm. where there is this sense that you're, you're taking risks together you're watching each other's back you have to trust each other yeah and there's there's an intimacy that develops through that i mean the band of brothers series is just yeah. unbelievably good in portraying how that develops um in in a war scene but i think it's true as christians right the the great affinity we have is Christ and the great warfare that we're part of is, is Christ's mission on earth. Part of which is like you said, this fight for purity or, you know, there's many other dimensions to Mm. it, but it means that we feel that we're in the trenches together. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's, it stops friendships being a kind of, um, navel gazing in the sense of like the very worst form of friendships where you're, where you're just kind of looking in at yourselves or maybe, um, or like even the danger of a kind of romantic relationship where you just kind of, Oh, you're beautiful. Oh, you're amazing. But actually you're never looking outwards. (laughs) This has not been my experience before you start suggesting. (laughs) Didn't cross my mind. Jen and I just like on the couch, just, just affirming each other. (laughs) There might be some, there might be some affirmation, but no, my point is, (laughs) um, there, my point is it, it kind of forces us to look outwards yes. because Christian, the Christian life is an outward focused life. And so yeah. Christian friendship should look like that. And friendship is, you know, I think C.S. Lewis said it, that friendship is side by side. And there is, there is a, you know, it gives you an, a, something to be side by side in. So, you know, if you take Christ out of the picture, very often friendships do, this is what we're talking about, this affinity. It might mm. be like we're both interested in motorbikes or we're both interested in football or whatever it is. But actually, I think in some ways you can build friendships even across quite unlikely relational divides when you recognize that Christ is in common. Yeah, yeah. And of course, that I think this brings us on to the area of the sharpening or sanctifying element of the Christian friendship. Yes. Yeah. That actually we're kind of committing to one another, we're loving our brothers or sisters, but we're also committing to sharpen one another, to help yeah. each other become everything that God's called them to be. I just love that about friendship. I love that I've got a few friends in my life who would say, I am committed to seeing you become the man that God has made you to be. Yeah. And I'm going to challenge you when it's required. I'm going to um, encourage you when that's what's required. Um, but I'm kind of in the fight to help you become God's man, so to speak, or God's woman. So yeah, is there anything you want to say on the sharpening side of things? Well, it's it's worth just referencing. Obviously, you're pulling on a proverb there that speaks about iron, iron sharpening iron, and this idea that you know if you want a sharp blade, you need to the blade has to come into contact with something just as solid and firm, which is the, the piece of iron. And that's what the biblical image of friendship is: is this kind of it's not. And this is actually one area that contrasts quite radically with what I have seen, at least, of friendships as they are outside of the church. I think in the world. I don't mean to sound particularly uh, male friendships. I think in what you're about to say. Yeah, but I think this is probably true that I think part, it's part of the cultural milieu that we're in at the moment is that because everyone's seeking to live your own truth, um, the idea that you confront someone and tell them they're out of order is actually quite out, is quite wrong in our day and age because everyone's everyone can justify their position, everyone can justify their life choices. Everyone, who am I to judge? Is the big phrase of the day, which means that friendships 
generally are accepting of all our quirks and, and oddness and but then maybe bitch about you behind your back and sort of gossip about you to to others and the christian version of friendship is the the precise opposite of that i don't i'm not going to badmouth you behind your back i'm not going to talk about you to others in a way that is critical of you i'm going to say what needs to be said to your face because you know there are things that are right and things that are wrong there's an appropriate way of living and a wrong way of living there's righteousness and there's sin mm. you know all these things are foreign to the world in which we live i think that speaks of ultimately of god's heart and that he is committed to us he loves us and he's willing to discipline us as a result of that love and so in our friendships we are committed to each other and we're committed to god forming himself in us so much that we're willing to challenge our friendships yeah, yeah. um yeah okay well let, let's just go back a bit and talk about um commitment loyalty what place does that have in the life of the christian friend yeah so this i guess this is where we started isn't it this this problem in the culture where we have these short-term friendships because we're we're drifting around in life pursuing our personal goals and i think all of us recognize that there's you know the, the vision of the fulfilled life is actually a settled life in some ways with certain friends that you know you can rely upon where there is this profound loyalty and this commitment to each other and that's actually quite a rare thing to find. Um, in the Bible, the great example of this is the friendship that existed between David and Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan was the, the son of King Saul, and David was God's choice to be the next king. So instead of Jonathan, mm. which means that they, these guys should never have been friends. You know, they just should not have been friends. But what you see is this kind of miraculous Holy Spirit-born bond that forms between them. And the reason why I mention them is because on, I think, three separate occasions, and it says for them that they covenanted to one, another, one mm. another, which is, you know, the strongest type of promise. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, this pro it's this very deep commitment of loyalty mm. um, that existed, which is just weird to think about when we understand it in marriage. I don't, I don't know of anyone who's covenanted to someone else in friendship. Mm. I guess, you know, when we were kids, we used to talk about being blood brothers. Where you like? Did you ever do that? I, no, I never did it. But I think someone maybe suggested it. It's like it sounds sounds like fun, where you like cut yourself and mix, and your, mix blood. your blood. You know that idea that must make it. That must go back to covenant somewhere. Yeah, it must do. But you know, this is this is back in the eighties, so you can picture you know like Stranger Things. You know, us boys running around and that that idea that you would that you would be covenanted to someone i guess was quite appealing in some ways and it does make sense when you when you really start to think about it within the, the context of friendship yeah and so this goes back to probably one of the first things you need to do if we think about being a better friend actually part of it means committing to those people in your life who yeah. god has placed into your life that you see an affinity to that if you want to be a good friend it means being committed to them well yeah on that point though i'd be kind of interested in your perspective on this but it, how do you know when you found that kind of friendship because surely there's not like when we when we become part of a church you you find yourself within the context of family with all kinds of different folk but presumably we're not talking about the same thing i think it's really important to distinguish between community and friendship so we are community is like the church community is like family to us they are the people who god has placed in our lives and we're placed in their lives and we commit to one another yeah. i think that's right and um 
but some of them you might not naturally get on with. And that's part of what it means to commit to one another. That that's why the you... command to love each other is so important. Exactly. It says even if you don't like that person, you better love them. Yeah. And um, I and, think actually, and learn to like them. I think actually yeah. as you do that, exactly, as you spend time with them and you do commit to follow a kind of biblical pattern of relating to your brothers and sisters in church, you will learn to like yeah. them and to become friends. So that's but, community, that's fellowship, that's family. I think friendship starts from a different premise. It says it's in, in, inherently selective. It's inherently... Um, exclusive. Exclusive. I think you probably can't have more than a handful of friends, really good friends. I think you can have others who are kind of decent friendships, so to speak. But um, I think it involves commitment. I think it starts with a place of saying, I recognize that there's something of a kind of thread between us that we mm. share. Um, and then it involves intentionality and building on that. Yeah. So I think... Sometimes, sometimes you can do two mistakes here. Either you can try and be friends with everyone, yeah. or you can try and be friends with someone maybe who you aren't naturally likely to be friends with. Or the other extreme is you can identify a friend but not invest in that friendship yeah. and not be intentional. And I think if you don't invest and you're not intentional, then you probably won't become friends with that person. And I've seen both those examples in church. So you see the person who tries to be friends with everyone, and sometimes it's it's well motivated, but it's also a little bit perhaps it's motivated a bit by guilt, like the feeling like you know, God's told me to love everyone, therefore I have to be everyone's friend and spend equal amounts of time with everyone. Yeah. And that that's maybe unhealthy. And whether it's whether it's motivated for good or not, it will lead you to exhaustion. It will. <laughs> it will. And then I've also seen the person who comes to church every Sunday, doesn't talk to anyone, leaves, and then complains that they have no friends. That one I've seen a lot more. And I think so I think we're now pointing to the idea of how do I make friends essentially? How do yeah. I how do I live in a healthy way with friendships? Yeah. I I, I want to talk about Jesus for a second here because I think he comes in in terms of just being our example in this. So we just talked about how friendship is selective and exclusive. And Jesus models that actually in the sense that he he has these these circles of disciples around him that there are, you know, at an extreme, there are hundreds of people. Who, who he to, loves all of them. He loves them, yeah. He's, he wants to be there for them. He's compassionate towards them. He's interested in what's going on in their lives. But he draws the circle a little bit narrow. He's got like... He's got a bunch, maybe like 70 or more who are, you know, ready to go out and preach for him. And then he draws it even narrower and he's got the 12 disciples and then he draws it even narrower and he has Peter, James and John. And I was, we were talking before we started recording about the way that Jesus invites Peter, James and John to be with him at the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. The idea that they're with him and watching him suffer. What a and, and you just think, is that something to do with friendship there? Are they, you know, it's almost like he's relying on them at that moment, which sounds hard for us to believe, but I think in the humanity and of And prior Christ, to that, those were the three who were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah. So they see him. This gets at the heart of what friendship is, actually. They see him sharing who he is. Mm. So he goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's, he's illuminated. Um, Elijah and Moses appear. The voice from heaven comes down, this is my son. And Peter, James, and John get to see all this. And why? Because they're his closest friends. And I think that that gets you to the heart of what friendship is. Friendship is the, the is sharing is sharing of yourself. Yeah. Um, it's the the complete unveiling. Mm. And so they're with him in trans in the Mount of Transfiguration. They're with him when he's shedding tears like drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And hence, it's all the more bitter when Peter betrays him yeah. and denies him three times. But I think this then reinforces the idea why friendship has to be inherently selective. So I'm called to love all my brothers and sisters. I'm called to commit in some way to those in my community yeah. and that to serve them. But I'm, I'm unlikely to be 
totally honest and transparent with everyone in my community. Yeah. Unless you're a chronic oversharer like I am. <laughs> um, but the most people are going to find one or two who they can actually just truly bear their soul with. And I know from experience when I do that with my friends, it's a wonderful experience. Mm. To be known and to be loved is, is how sometimes um, it's put from John chapter four with the woman at the well. They do these dramatizations on YouTube and she says, um, to be loved is to be known and to be known is to be loved. Mm. And I think that's, captures something of the essence of friendship it does yeah and a friendship with god himself i suppose yeah to know god and to be known by god i think each one of these aspects that we've identified about friendship the commitment to one another the covenant the uh self-revelation the willingness to get to to bear all so to speak um the sense of being side by side in a mission um all of those actually you see in the person of god and that's why it's fascinating when you say ultimately we were made for friendship with god yeah. like, you know christ says i didn't just call you servants i call you friends yes and then of course we then live that kind of christ-like friendship um in, in, out in our lives that's beautiful it is wonderful yeah before i know we're getting out of time here so i know you i can see you're about to wrap up but before we do um can I just ask you, ask you the question around sort of the, this vision of friendship, how it helps in our mission and as Christians wanting to reach the world? Yeah, I think when we live out a Christ-like model of friendship, this idea of vulnerability and commitment to one another, etc., that is a really attractive thing. I remember one of my colleagues uh, came to a birthday party I had or a social gathering, and the thing he was struck by was the vulnerability of the Christians in being willing to share their life and honest, be honest about wow. their failings. Yeah. And so I think we don't be surprised by how attractive this model of friendship is yeah. and how when drawing others into that, they will see that and be really drawn to Christ ultimately. That's beautiful. Well, okay. that's all we have time for. Sorry, I took your line. Go up for it. That's all I have to say. I, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, please do review or rate us on iTunes or whatever, however you get your podcasts. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Bye.